Okay, this morning I'm going to read from uh, Psalm 19. This was uh, as I woke up very early this morning. Uh, this is, uh, God put this psalm on my heart. He said he wanted me to read this. So I'll just share with you what he, what he gave me in reference to this psalm. This is Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the mighty, and the expanse tells the work of his hands. Day unto day pours out speech, and night unto night breathes knowledge. It is not speech nor words whose voice cannot be heard. Their line or their sound is gone out into all the earth, and their words to the end of the habitable earth. In them has he set for the sun a tent, and he is as a bridegroom coming forth from his chamber. He rejoices as a strong man to run his course, his going forth is from the end of the heavens and his circuit unto the ends thereof, and nothing is hid from the heat thereof. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple of the humble. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart, the mind, and the emotions. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening or lighting up the eyes. The fear, the reverential awe of Yahweh is clean, enduring for all eternity. The judgments of Yahweh are truth. They are righteous altogether. More desirable are they than gold, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, even the droppings of the honeycombs. By them also is your servant, your worshiper, warned in keeping them there is great and eternal reward. Who understands his errors? Free me from things hidden from me. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then will I be upright. I will be innocent of the great transgression or the great revolt. Let the utterance of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. This is quite a psalm. It's, it's, it's uh, just an amazing psalm here. And it's so full of meaning. So very full of meaning. There's so much uh, today, especially in the time that we have been alive, and, and truthfully, even since the first temptation and fall of man and woman in the garden in Genesis 3, all the way up to now, there's so much that comes against the believer. But there's so much that the believer has in Christ. There's so very, very, very much. And what we see here is when we see the sun, and that's what it's talking about, the physical sun. The sun is that that, that comes out of like, like, it, like its chamber, the sun. But we know that the sun here is the symbol or the emblem of the Son of God himself, the, the capital S-O-N, it's the sun. Where, and the sun comes out and he reveals in the light, the light of the nature of God to us who walk in the darkness of this present time in this uh, worldly 
wilderness, this world system where we are. When we talk about the nature of God, when we talk about that nature, the nature of God we know is love with many, many other attributes. So love, we know that God, according to 1 John 4, 8 and 16, right to the 20th verse, we know that God is love. That's why the Bible teaches us love is not God, God is love. So we know that love. The, but what is it about his nature that is love? Well, the energy of God's nature is his love. What this psalm is bringing out in terms of the creation, which is God's signature and his language to every single person that was ever born. Because we know in Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 31, God created all of this. It was his language to every single individual. Whether they heard the gospel or not, they would have the signature of him who created all of this. It's a language that every single human being can understand, that there is, a crea- there is creation, and there is, as a result of that, there is a creator. So the, so the energy and activity of God's nature is love. And out of that comes the purity of God's nature, and that's light. And that's what the sun does. Would there be anything, would there be a creation without the sun, the physical sun? And we know that, of course, there could never have been that. There had to be that. And there would not be any creation without God's sun. Because we know that in John 1 and verse 3, and in Colossians 1 and verse 16, he created everything. Jesus Christ, the Son, created everything. And when we look at that, these truths about who we, who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us, the Father giving the Son to us because the Son gave himself to the Father and in doing so, they gave each other to us with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both. They gave themselves to us and we know this, that love, love is a covering. We know that based upon Proverbs 10 and verse 12 and 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Love covers, and that speaks of protection. There's a tremendous protection in God's love for us. Now, for us to experience that, the light of his son, who he is, had to come out and put on humanity. So the word in John 1 verse 1, the word, the very word of God, which is God's full thought, the Son, in John 1 and verse 1, and this eternal embrace, when he, he had to come out and put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14. That's like the sun coming out of its chamber. <laughs> and it's revealing its nature, itself. And that was the Son. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the whole world every human being. I am the light. Just like the sun lights up everything so that we can see and that we can have energy and we can function as believers in purity. That's what Christ is. I am the light of the world, he said. He that walks after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here in these Psalms, it's teaching us so much. But here in this particular time that we live in, 
And we can see this through history, through church history. We see how many attacks have come against the Son himself, the one who is the light that reveals the very nature of God, his love. We see how incredible that is. But we also see how the enemy raises up what is known, and we know this in, in you, you can know this in like in the in 1930s and 40s and 50s, what was called these higher critics. They had a, they had a higher understanding. They would, a higher understanding more than the word of God itself and would make the word of God not to even be true. No wonder it says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4 for believers, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have to do with, with humanity. But they're mighty, powerful. We're going to see that here. They're mighty and powerful through God to the pulling down of these strongholds, these thought patterns that get in, that have gotten into our lives and that the enemy wants to use because the enemy in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, he is an angel of light, but is he truly light? He's an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. But you know, he said in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, he said, I want to be like the Most High. In his evil sense, he wanted to be like the Most High. And there are his five eye wells, which go into a language and a voice for, for individuals, unsaved and saved to hear and submit to. But then we have God's five eye wells in Isaiah and in Ezekiel 28, 15, right through the 20s, his five eye wells of how he would deal. But see, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds. Casting down imaginations. What's a stronghold? It's an imagination. It's a thought force that has lodged into our minds so that it's something that we submit to and function in. That is why Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 6 and verse 22, remember the sun here, the physical sun comes out of its chamber and lights up because there's energy within itself and then out of that comes light. We know also about light. What is light? Light there, and we've studied this and we've shared this over the years here and in Texas, there is no element which refuses corruption more than light. Did you know that? It refuses to be mixed. Did you know that even light, when it comes through, we see one ray of light, but in that one ray of light, there are three parts that make up that one ray of light. That's actinic, luminiferous and calorific. One can be seen, can't be seen or felt. That's the Father. The Son can be seen and felt. The other ray is the Holy Spirit. Can't be seen, but he can be felt. That one ray of light that comes through is revealing the Godhead, the purity of the Word, the purity of the Word coming out. And that light of God's nature refuses, refuses to be mixed with anything else. Can't be. You can't mix anything else with it. It refuses to do so. The light. So here we have these higher critics and when a human being 
unsaved or even saved, doesn't function under the sun, who is the very the very illumination and reality and revelation of the very nature of God, when they don't, when they don't, we fall under these higher critics who are under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2 too. We see that crystal clear in the scriptures, very clear. And so then what happens? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 21? He said, where your treasure is, what you value the most, there will your whole heart, your whole purpose, your whole desire, your whole thought life will be after. He said that in 621. Then he said in 622 of Matthew, if your eye be single, right, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Then he said this in 623 of Matthew. If the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Does the enemy want to come in? Does he try to show himself as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14? Yes. Does he have his ministers in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 15? Yes, he has his unsaved ministers, these these higher critics. He can even cause the believer that functions in the flesh to be his voice <laughs> and submit to it. Of course, remember again, once we're, we're in Christ through salvation, we can never be possessed, but we can certainly be obsessed. So God, through his word, through the light of his word that comes out, that comes out, is to keep us from falling into the hands of these higher critics who are under the prince and power of the air, the angel of light, who really is not light, really isn't. You know, and it was back in these in the early 1900s up to and even to the present time where you have all this Darwinian, Darwin evolution. Just think about it. That evolution with the enemy, these higher critics, would cause people to think that when certain things banged around long enough, <laughs> when they banged around long enough, all of a sudden things were created. I always like to share it like this. If that's correct, then I'm going to take a, a battery, a car light, and a few other pieces of, of, of a car. I'm going to put it in a dryer and let it bounce around for a couple of weeks, and then a car will come out. Impossible. Impossible. But because the Darwinian evolutionist is just the voice of the higher critic, the enemy, saying, like the fool says in Psalm 14, verse 1, and Psalm 15, uh, 53, verse 1, the fool, self-confident in his own reasoning and understanding under Satan, says there is no God. Now, when it says that in Psalm 14, 1 through 3, and 53, 1 through 3 of, the, of Psalms, when it says that, it's not saying that people really don't believe in a God. Did you know that? You ever hear that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole in the middle of battle? <laughs> they cry out. Boy, I'll tell you. All they're saying is, stay out. I don't want you in here. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you. Where did that start? That started in Genesis, the third chapter. By the time you get to the fourth chapter, you see Cain 
who was under the under Satan, under him, killed his brother who brought the sacrifice of Christ, trying to still get rid of him. Didn't want that sacrifice. Then he went out from the presence of God in Genesis 4 and verse 16, and he built a city. We've said this time and time again. Follow that all the way through to the end of that fourth chapter in Genesis. That's the whole world system. That's where the whole world system began. That's what we're in, but not of. <laughs> we're in it, but we're not of it. We're not staying here. No. God is, regardless of what some would say and teach and say it's Christian teaching and biblical teaching, there is going to be a rapture. <laughs> if we go home to be with the Lord prior to that, we're with them. But there will be a rapture of people off this earth. There will be. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, then we, those that are in heaven, when that rapture comes, and, and they're raptured off the earth, then we meet them together in the clouds of the air and appear at the beam of seat. Again, our only hope, still, our only hope, and the reason why, and we'll see, our only hope is coming back to Scripture. I mean, isn't that our hope as believers in Christ when we make wrong decisions, even when we do the things we know we shouldn't do? After a while, what's our only hope? What was the prodigal's only hope? The prodigal's only hope was what? Once he left the house, and that's what a lot of Christians can do, they leave the house and God allows it, like with all of us, because they have to find out what they're like without Christ. We all have to do that. But what was the prodigal's only hope? It was in scriptures, coming back to the Father. Even these creeds, no such thing as creeds, although there are. False church history will tell you that there is. There's these creeds, the apostles' creeds, so when you hear those things, and you will, no such thing anymore. That was going on. The Apostles' Creeds, if you study church history, that was going on around the ninth century. The ninth century. And then even, and that affected the whole Western church where we are. A lot of those truths that came down to us now, all kinds of those things that mixed itself with the Word of God, and you know what happens when you mix things that aren't of God with the Word, what is it, with the Scriptures, what does it amount to? Confusion. God's not the author of confusion, but of life and peace. See, God's order has to do with life. That life is Christ, who is His Son. He's our life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. And then it also says peace. And He's our peace. Ephesians 2 and verse 14. So, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of life and peace to us who are in Christ, set, saints set apart. That's why God does all things openly, transparently. That's what decently there. He does them openly. Like everybody can see the sun. To anyone who's never heard the gospel or never had the word, they have God's signature creation. That's just what this is bringing out. His creation reveals a creator <laughs> to every single human being. Every single human being. No question about it. And that's what affected the West. Where Here we are in the West. That's what affected us, all this teaching that comes in. That comes in. And then there was the Nicene Creed, the Creed of the Nicene. And that was like, well, five centuries earlier. Five centuries earlier than the Ninth. 
And what they taught with that, and it's infiltrated so much teaching today. If you study, uh, if you know, if, if you understand, and if you study church history, if you've ever had it taught, you will see that to put forth they and these creeds that we just mentioned, to put forth the glory of Christ, they would teach that the work of creation was all, had only to do with God the Father. Think about that. So creation only had to do, the physical creation only had to do with God the Father. I know, but doesn't it say in John 1, 3 and verse 1 that he, Christ himself, created all things? Doesn't it say that in Colossians 1 and verse 16? All things were created by him, Christ the Son, and for him. And in verse 17 it says, and he was before all things, in that eternal embrace in John 1, 1, even before he put on humanity in 1.14. And by him, it says, all things consist. Well, Hebrews 1, chapter, chapter 1 and verse 2 make it clear the Son created all things. Furthermore, he created them, holds them together, and they were framed in Hebrews 11.3 by the Son. But there'll be teaching out there. See? See, it's the enemy. The enemy hates Christ. You know he hates Christ in us? I can't... I, Boy, he hates Christ in each individual. I'm telling you, he can't stand it. He hates Christ. Can't do a thing about it. Cannot do a thing about it. Doesn't want us to live by every word in Deuteronomy 8.3 and Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. Man will not live by bread only. Details of life, all the material things. But separated from that, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And in Exodus 4 and verse 16, and in Exodus 7 verse 1, Moses was a mouthpiece for God. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, I thank God that when you heard the word of God, you received it, not as it, it, that it was the word of men, but as in truth, as it is the word of God, which works effectually in you who receive it that way. <laughs> and give Christ all the glory, because he gets it all. And thank God the cross is that thing that separated us from glorying in the world or anything in ourselves, but only glorying in him in Galatians 6 and verse 14. But he, by him, by the word, he created everything. What is a word? What is a word? It's an expression of thought. And the Son, Jesus Christ, is the expression of God the Father who put on, and, and Christ put on humanity to reveal and express the Father. That's why even the word gospel, gospel, when we understand it, means God spells. God spells out his nature through his Son who put on humanity. Isn't that awesome? That he cares that much about us individually, and we don't ever have to buy the lie and compare. Why would we ever compare ourselves, believers, compare each other to each other when we're like the stars, all differing? And it's but having that source, but so different and making up that, that mosaic of the life that Christ is. What a beauty this is. Well, he created everything. Everything. And only in and through Christ, his person and the work that he's accomplished is the full revelation that God made of himself. Think about that. It's pretty awesome. So creation, really, we understand this. Creation is the earliest witness of God to man. You see it way back in Genesis, the first chapter. And by the way, Genesis 
1, 1 is not the oldest so-called verse in the Bible. It's John 1, 1. Because in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. But before he created anything, in the beginning, the Word. And the Word with God and the Word God. <laughs> then there was a creation. So we had John 1, verse 1 and 2. Then there was creation in 1, 3. And John 1, 3 brings out the reality of Genesis, the first chapter in those 31 verses. It's a great creation. God created everything. And he holds it together. He holds it together. It's the earliest witness of God. But as soon as man fell, and we know that fall happened in Genesis 3, 1 to 6 in the garden, man, just like all of us and every human being, whether they know it or not, and thank God we can be witnesses to those that don't know. But... Even, even when he fell in that condition, he had need of, even with creation, he had need of, and he, and he needed the mercy of God, and the mercy of God was, to, was found. We see that. The mercy of God was found. Even in addition to that creation. And you know what? Even today, like Cain did, turned his back, turned his back on, on, on God. He turned his back on God. They want a thing to do with him. He went out from the presence of God. Genesis 4, verse 16. The unsaved, the enemy wants to keep the unsaved out of the presence of God. And he wants to keep the believer out of that, out of God's presence experientially through living in the flesh <laughs> and those fleshly desires, those fleshly plans, and those thoughts those thoughts, and we've said before, the unsaved believer and the flesh that's in the Christian is just as corrupt. Genesis 6, verse 5, Genesis 8, verse 21, not only the thought, but all the purposes, designs, and everything is corrupt. But that's not who we are in Christ, thank God. In Romans 8, verse 9, the flesh is in us, but we're not of it, thank God. But that's what the enemy desires to do. And even though Cain turned his back on God, he still couldn't do away with the witness of God's creation that he functions in. The sun still comes out. The rain comes down. Other areas, the snow. D different periods, and different seasons. He makes his sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. He makes his rain to fall on them too. In Matthew 5, 44 and 45. And the reason is, is in Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord thy God, I change not. That's another reason why in Ecclesiastes 1, 4, Isaiah 45 and verse 17, and in Ephesians 3, verse 21, the earth will never end. This earth will never end. <laughs> okay? It won't. It'll be changed. And that's why in Matthew 24 and verse 35, where it says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word won't pass away. It's the original creation, the way it is right now, because the Bible makes it clear in first, 2 Peter 3 and verse 13, the earth that now is is going to be baptized with fire and made ready for all of us, for the sun and then for all of us. So it's not going to do away. So Cain, even though he turned his back on God, and even when the unsaved don't want anything to do with God, or even when we function in the flesh as Christians and we don't want anything to do with God, here's his signature still. It's speaking volumes to us. 
speaks volumes. To anyone that wants to just be a little bit honest, listen a little bit honest, the creation speaks volumes. Their voice is heard, it says. We read all those scriptures this morning. It's a language. It's a language. It pours out speech. <laughs> creation speaking. Night unto night breathes knowledge. Well, what do you mean? Well, during the day, there's the sun. And it lights up all of his creation. Then at night, we have the moon. And the moon has no substance in itself, but reflects the light of the sun. And in type, we're like his moons, but we reflect the light of who Christ is in us. Then we look up at night, and then there's stars and galaxies. You can't number them. It's his signature, speaking volumes. So incredible. We have like the space, the spacecraft Hubble and what it's doing and where it goes, and we see all these galaxies, these universe. It's just incredible when we think about it. It's language. And though they want to silence God, the higher critic, the, the skeptic, the skeptic, I looked up the word skeptic again. I've looked this up several times. The skeptic who wants to do away with God and the enemy will give, will make a unsaved person or a believer in the flesh a skeptic. And you know what a skeptic is? One who doubts the truth. Doubts God. Doubts his word. Doubts his love. Doubts his son. Doubts it. One who doubts the truth and reality of any principle or system of principles or teachings, doctrines. He gets them to live in some kind of philosophy, higher critics, Darwinism, and a multitude of other things. To live in philosophy. Because when you live that way as a philosopher, <laughs> funny how they like to do away with God and use the word philosophy. Love of God, love of truth. God. But to live in this false philosophy, those who maintain that no certain inferences can be drawn from the reports of the senses. You know, God gave us a mind, didn't he? And emotions and a free will. And we can operate in it. But deny all that. Keep out creation. Keep out God's thought. Keep out Christ like multitudes that have been witnessed to for years. I thought of so many people this morning, right in our neighborhood, and then out. And all my 46, going on 47 years of just people, unsaved. They say you can't. You can't use the senses to make sense of anything. And, and God gave us eyes to see creation, but you can't rely on that. <laughs> you can't rely on it. No, they just kind of bang together. Well, where did the stuff that bang together come from? Hmm. Interesting. Well, and then what? They doubt everything. Do you think that, the, that, the, that Satan wants the Christian to doubt God about everything? When you don't go by Scripture, when you don't submit to it, when I don't, we become a skeptic. We live in doubt. A Christian can live in doubt. And when they do, they live just like the world, even though they're not of the, they're in the world, but not of it in John 17, 14, and 16. We're in the world, but not of it. And we shouldn't love the world in 1 John 2, 15 or anything in it. But when we function in the flesh, we live just like that. We doubt everything. 
Thank God for us in Christ, the reality is Romans 14, 22. Happy is the man in Christ, obviously, or woman, who condemns not himself. Why? Because there is any condemnation of who we are in Christ with Christ in us in Romans 8, 1? No. Happy is the man or woman who condemns not himself, even in the thing that they allow. And he that doubts is damned if he eat. Is God damning the one that's in Christ? No. Who's doing it? The one who causes, through a lie, for the Christian to act as a skeptic or to be very superstitious. Did you know there's no suspicion in love? Did you know that God, who is love, was never suspicious of anything simply because he knew everything? And everything he knew had to do with who he is. He doesn't change. He never changes. Thank God in Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Now the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Has he not said? And will he not do it? Has he not spoken? And will he not bring it to pass? You know what we trust God for? As we're led by him and it's his choice, he brings it to pass. But in the meantime, if we have to learn patience and wait, the enemy brings in all kinds of doubt. He wants you to be a higher critic. Yeah, and doubt God. Remember in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. What's an imagination? Something that's not, in, not the source of God's word or his love or his light. Casting down imaginations, false idols set up in your mind. Casting down imaginations, and listen, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? Does God have any, is there any other life or peace? Is there any other order than Christ for us? And there isn't. Not for any of us. Not for a sing, single one of us. And so the enemy comes in, and so and uh, we need to cast down imaginations and every high thing. That's where the higher critics get their so-called knowledge <laughs> from the one who's higher. Hoopsima is demonic atmosphere, angels under Satan, fallen demons. That's where they get their knowledge, to make skeptics. And then to what? Make us superstitious. <laughs> make you superstitious of other believers. Because your superstition starts with God. But is there any suspicion in God's love? No, not an ounce. Superstitious. What is a superstitious person and why would God... Uh, why would Satan, I should say, want to cause those that aren't born again and those that are to be superstitious? Because then they become overscrupulous, just rigid about everything. Rigid and what? And then what? Be, do, what replaces God? Is God a God of religion or relationship? Live in a religion where you're superstitious about everything. Do you remember certain things? Certain ways, like they do in Rome, that whole religion is very superstitious, isn't it? It is. All these superstitious things about it. Superstitious. To become rigid in religious observances, meaning to observe these things and not God. Not his word, his true word. And then, then what? He causes those to be addicted to superstition. When we don't have love, when we don't have love, 
when we don't function it experientially, we become addicted and live as a suspicious person about everybody. Then we become full, it says, full of idle fancies and scruples in regard to religion. We become very exact, very rigid. We don't trust anybody. You know why? You know why we don't trust God? Because the enemies caused us to be superstitious. And he's caused us to be a skeptic. Is that who we are in Christ? Who is the word? No. No. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that Cain could turn his back on God and try to do away with him. But he still had to live in his physical earth with the sun and the moon, <laughs> moon the stars, the rain, everything. Tried to do away with it. You know, I used to think, you know, there, there was, and truthfully then, is there such a thing as an atheist? The word atheist is where we get, is the, is the A in the Greek alphabet, it's alpha negative. No God. I don't want God. No God. Theos, no God. No, there's such, there's agnostics, and an agnostic is where we get the word alpha negative, alpha A, negative. Not enough knowledge. You can, and that's what the skeptic, you can't have enough knowledge. The scriptures aren't enough. What God said is not enough. You have to go by these other things, which are lies, to make you a skeptic and a superstitious one, even about God. Even about God and then about others. Make us very, very superstitious. But one thing they couldn't do, they couldn't silence God's creation to this day. Those that you've given the gospel to for years, they may reject it, resist it, because Satan has caused them to be a skeptic and, and a superstitious person, but, and they may turn their back on that revelation of the word of God as us, as his witnesses. He said to Israel, you're my witnesses. In Isaiah 50, uh, 43 in verse 10. We are his witnesses, his written epistles with Christ in us as we're taught. And we go out, and that's in, that's in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4. We become those revelations that our sufficiency is not in ourself, but it's in his son in 2 Corinthians 3, 3 through 5. And then we, we witness to others they still resist and turn their backs, but they cannot do away with God's creation because it still speaks volumes. Volumes, see? And uh, an agnostic, because of refusal of knowledge, the knowledge of God's word, yes. But a true atheist, is there any such thing as that? I used to teach it like this. Sometimes the atheists would come up and they, they come up to me and they, they want to prove, their whole life is proving that God doesn't exist. Well, if he didn't, if he doesn't exist, we're trying to prove. What's there to prove? Your whole life, it's, doesn't even make any sense. But would the enemy do that? Use them to be his witness. The enemy wants to use the experience of the Christian to distrust God, to not believe him, to, to, and then form their own plans, their own plans, to, because he wants to seek to steal, to kill and destroy in John 10, 10. You know, he, he got very suspicious, the son, the prodigal, born again in the father's house. 
but he began to be separated, divided from the Father in the house in Luke the 15th chapter in verses we see right 11 through 32 in Luke 15. And you can see, you can see, even before he left the house, he was beginning to be separated. You know, someone leaves a local assembly, before they leave physically, they've already, it's already happened in their mind. It's already happened in their thought life, whether they're even cognizant of it or not. And then he left the house. They, he left the house. And why did the enemy want him to leave the house? Because he wanted to kill him. He wanted to kill him. He can't touch our position, but he wants to kill the experiential, deep, intimate love of God for each of us. Because I know this, I know this, I know one thing, that we may turn our back, just like the unsaved on God, and then get corrupted by our own folly and our own thinking. Read Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. Fool, is, his only understanding is his own opinions. Opinions don't have a thing to do with the word. That's just becoming like a skeptic or one who's superstitious, right? You know, there's certain libraries and certain places where you can buy books that are filled with superstition and, and, and skepticism and religious. You know, making you so religious that nobody else is good for you and you're not even any good for society to function in as a witness. You have, to, you have to do like the monks or the Essenes. Get away from everyone. <laughs> oh boy, the enemy. The enemy. Well, well, we know in Romans 1 and verse 20, it says the invisible things of him from the creation. The invisible realities of God's nature that you can't see are being proven by his creation. The invisible things of the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, that's what it's revealing. So that they are without excuse. And the enemy gives us plenty of excuses, doesn't he? For the believer, excuse why you can't be obedient in areas. That's the cloak. You know, when Christ came, he even said it in John 15 and verse 22. <laughs> They've hated both me and my father. They hated both me and my father. Because I came, and when Christ came, he did away with every excuse. There's no excuses, none whatsoever. There's no excuse for anyone who sees his creation to receive Christ as their Savior. There's no excuse for any Christian who knows the truth but doesn't do it in John in James 4 and verse 17. Well, maybe I'll do just a little bit of truth. <laughs> maybe I, I know I should go this far in my obedience, but I'm only going to go this far. Is that obedience? No, that's delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience in any of us. So we see that, his eternal power and Godhead. We refuse that? Refuse the word, his eternal power and Godhead? No. The heavens bring out that testimony. Those heavens in his creation during the day and during the night, you can see, read Genesis 1, 1 through 31, and then read this Psalm 19. Read them and you'll see how they're beautifully brought out. Beautifully brought out. Did you know? Did you know? And we're going to have to share on these. And I think I'm going to be doing this on, on Monday and Wednesday and Friday and every other day in between because it's so loaded. But did you know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the Creator? And He didn't do anything separate 
from the Father and God the Holy Spirit because they're one in essence. Three separate distinct persons, but one in essence. And if God has essence, and he does, then doesn't that make it essential for us as his creations? Did you know that the Son created everything in his pre-incarnate state? Did you and I know even when we see in Genesis 3 and verse 8 where it says, they heard the voice of God walking in the garden. Who's the voice of God? Do you have a voice without words? No. And isn't he the word in John 1.1? 1, 1? Yes. And wasn't that the voice in his pre-incarnate state before Christ put on humanity? Was that him who was the voice meeting Adam and Eve just as the sun was going down and its beauty, it was this gorgeous, and then he'd come in and share the word with him. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden. And either when we submit to him in obedience and don't live in sin, and when we confess it in 1 John 1, 9, do we love to hear his voice? Yes. But if we are living in sin and choose to sin, do we love to hear his voice? None of us do. None of us do. Thank God he still loves us. He just can't fellowship with us. So we see this. But did you know, as we close this morning here very quickly, that the Son in his pre-incarnate state spoke everything into existence? Did you know that the Son of God created the angels? And a vast, innumerable host, the Bible makes it clear. You can't count the amount of angels that he created. And remember, like some would say that God created evil when he created Satan. I, absolutely not. He didn't create Satan. He created Lucifer. And Lucifer, with his own will, made himself be his own creation and, and thereby iniquity. And that's where sin began. And that's where it was infiltrated in Adam and Eve in the garden. So Christ, in his pre-incarnate state, created everything. It was the Father's plan. They all had this plan. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God in Acts 2 and verse 23. In the eternity. They knew before they created angels or a human race what was going to happen. Did he ever see his son to be the creator of every material thing? No. Did he ever not, did he ever not see his son as the lamb, the creation of us? You know, he created. The, look at what he's created. Think about it. Eternity. <laughs> they just keep going and finding galaxies and universes, and they can't keep up. They, as far as they can go, they just, the creation doesn't stop in its beauty and its power and its majesty. And yet the height of God's creation is when his son put on humanity. God, can you believe it? put on humanity, walked as a human being, revealed his Father. In John 14, 8 and 9, they said, show us the Father. Jesus said to them in 14, 9, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here I am as the Word in humanity revealing him. <laughs> We're the height of God's creation. It's the highest creation that God could ever create is you and I in Christ. You know why you're so hated? Do you know why the enemy so seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, do everything he can to cause distance? Because he can't change your position. 
in Christ, and even your sins can't do that, but he'll cause you to try and tempt you to sin, so that, it, that interrupts your experiential, intimate fellowship with him, how he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But God is waiting in Isaiah 30, verse 18, to be gracious, and as soon as we confess it, he can bring us back. So, you know, we said the, 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 uh, one of the hardest things to do, one of the hardest things to do, it's easy to forget God and get out of fellowship with him. It's very hard at times to get back in. It can take a long time for some of us. And oh, how the enemy hates us because we are his creation behind of it. And in, in, in that, in, in Hebrews 2, 9 to 18, he reversed the whole creative order because there was no other height of God's creation than Christ, the head of a whole new race, you and I in him. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the guarantee of, of being glory, and oh, how he hates us. We're created in his image. God put on humanity. He didn't put on an angelic body. Everything he did was for us. That's how much God lo loves us. That's how much the enemy hates us. He had to remind me. He reminded me again and again this morning. Ed, you're hated. The enemy hates you. And really, it's not so much about what you do or what you don't do. Now, that does have an effect, but he hates that Christ is in you. The enemy wants you to think, well, maybe I didn't do this, I didn't do that. That's why. God doesn't hate us. He loves us. He doesn't change his mind. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. He doesn't do that. He loves us, and that's it. Settled. Settled. But boy, he was telling me this morning, he hates you. I'm like, God, why is this going on? Sometimes I'm like, what is all this that's going on? Jeez, you know, I mean, why am I, what, what, what is the cause of this, God? What is the cause of this? And that's why you need to be humbled. That's why you need to receive Christ, because the enemy hates you. He hates Christ being glorified in you, and he is, in every one of us, by the way. But he hates that glory coming out through those through the vessel that we are in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and through the gifts that he's given us. Oh, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want me taken in, and he doesn't want you taken in his word. Nope. He doesn't want you uh, being an effective witness through having this intimate love relationship that makes everything so easy and pure to do. It's not even a works thing. Oh, how he hates us. Oh, how he wants to keep the unsaved unsaved. But just our own our own conduct and how we live speaks volumes, speaks volumes to those that are closest to us and even to those that if God would send us to that would, that would be far off. And boy, he hates us. You think he wants those? You think he wants this word going out? Do you think he wants this, these word, these messages going on the website for hundreds of people to listen to? Absolutely not. He will, get, he will interrupt us and do everything he can do you think he wants those books and those booklets going, going out? Because it's God's word and no one else's. No, he does not. Do you think he wants you to trust him and, and so that you glorify him and you become so blessed? No, he doesn't want that. He's going to do everything he can to divide you in your experience from Christ because he can't touch your position. But the wicked one in opposition touches us not in 1 John 5, 18. He, can do any, he could do everything to Job that he could do. 
He could touch his body, take everything away, and God allowed it to bring, to, obviously, to bring back double. Of course, and we see that in Job 42. But in the meantime, could he touch his dependence upon God and how God loved him? He couldn't touch that. Because even when he instigated that against Job and gave the, the enemy permission, like he did again, to the enemy to sift Peter, and we're all going to be sifted, by the way, in, in Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, you can put your name there. Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. And what he's saying is, I will use him. He means it for evil in Genesis 50, verse 20. I mean it so that he will sift you and shake you violently. But I'm going to allow him to do that because all that's going to do is to shake off what you're not so you can function in who you are in me. That's why he allowed it with Job. But he couldn't touch God's love. He can't touch God's love for us positionally. Oh, he goes after the experience, his creation. We are his creation. And so we'll stop with Ephesians 2.8. We are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God, even the faith of dependence, a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, his creation, you're his creation. Boy, you're, you're, we're his little stars. No two stars are alike that reflect his glory. No believer is anything like, in one sense, another believer in the way that God created them. Here is little stars. Where is little stars shining brightly for now in the night of his absence, but soon face to face in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And oh boy, how he hates us. So many voices that are out there. We'll get into this during the week. In 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 11. There, there are many voices in the world. Many voices in the world and none of them are without none of them are without significance. None of them. They have a purpose. But there's one voice that we listen to through the scriptures, God's word, which is his son. And his sheep hear his voice. The one voice as opposed to the many. In John 10, 3 and 4. That's right. And we don't listen to a stranger's voice, a higher critic a lie. You can't trust God. He's got this against you. This is happening to you because God's against you. <laughs> no God for us, Romans 8, 31 and Psalm 56 and verse 9. Nope. God for us. God for us in his great love. God for us in his great love. Many voices. And then we don't. When we hear that one voice in John 10, 3 and 4, it keeps out the stranger's voice. No love there. Nothing but skepticism and superstition and religiosity. Even in, even in James 1.27, religion's not even the original. He's a God of intimate relationship and he loves us and he designed us in a way that no one else can be like. <laughs> oh Lord, thank you so much this morning for your word, for your love, for the purity of your love, for each and every single one of us Thank you, God, that we are, we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has foreordained for you and I to walk in and walk in in our own individuality like only we can, each individual. And then each individual 
with the energy of God's nature, which is love, and the purity of that nature, which is his light in us, then we become a joint that supplies in the most beautiful way. And we live in the freedom of not living for ourselves, but living for Christ. And as we do, we live for others. Thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen.